knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. There's so much bad information out there, (laughs) right? That's going viral. And if a post gets like, and this isn't just on TikTok. I mean, this is Instagram, it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook as well. But if a post gets like, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of views, that's what the algorithm chose to recognize that, hey, this is a post that people want to see. But the algorithms don't do anything to actually fact check, to see if it's actually accurate or if it's harmful even. And so I started to find my niche in terms of finding videos that were not true or ones that were true and making a side-by-side duet on it in TikTok as it's called. And either, you know, instead of, I was using Gen Z lingo. So instead of saying it's false, I would say it's CAP, C-A-P. And that's Gen Z for not true. And not CAP means it's true. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How-To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com, and the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. Hey, it's Dr. Brian Boxer-Walkler here as a guest. I'm very excited to be on the Tom Roland Show. Dr. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing so well. It's so good to see you. Um, I hope life is treating you well. Um, you're just one of my favorite people in the world. And I've told the story uh, a number of times, but uh, Dr. Brian Boxer-Walkler is responsible for saving my son's vision and uh, creating the, the procedure that, that saved his vision. So a double whammy there. But uh, Turner is doing fantastic. He still has the best vision of anyone in the family. And uh, it's just such a, it's, it's such a relief and such a pleasure. And I'm just... Uh, I don't know. I'm just forever grateful to you. Welcome. You're welcome. Happy to help. That's why I'm here. Yeah. And then we we did um, really one of my favorite shows together when uh, you and Stephen Holcomb and Turner were all on the boat together and we all shared the story of Keratoconus and um, just just a great show. And you got an awesome big tarpon right there at Long Key <laughs> Bridge. 
My my arm is still recovering. Is it? <laughs> All these years later. Well, it was uh, it was like a rodeo ride. Uh, we had you up on the front of the boat with the on the Yeti cooler, and and it was up and down. I was behind you, making sure you were standing or, or going to stay on on the boat. But uh, good times, good times. Yeah, that was great. that was really fun. So. Um, you know, keratoconus isn't what we're here to talk about today. We're going to talk about your your new book and social media. But would you mind um, just kind of giving a little background ab- about that in case um, in case people are encountering keratoconus or don't know? Kind of like Turner and I were in that situation, and what your work is is all about. Sure. So the keratoconus one hundred and one is that it's a disease of the cornea, the outer lens of the eye where it gets weakened because the collagen is weak and it bulges out like having a hernia, like in the groin. And when it's on the eye, it can cause a tremendous amount of distortions, blurry vision, glare and halos at night. And the traditional treatment was a invasive and very painful long recovery cornea transplant. And I had developed these procedures many, many years ago called Holcomb C3R cross-linking that strengthens the cornea and stops it from getting worse. And then also intacts, which are little micro inserts that help to push it back to improve the vision. So a lot of times we do those both on the same day. And then there's even something called the Vizian ICL, which is a lens implant for nearsightedness and astigmatism. And then three months later, or at least beyond three months later, uh, we can correct the vision even further oftentimes with that lens implant. So we have a lot of tools in the keratoconus toolbox now. Yeah. That's incredible. It's just, uh, it's just such a, such a incredible story, your, your story. And you can read about it in, um, in Stephen Holcomb's book that, that he wrote now, but now I can see is that that's the title, right? Right. And, right, uh, right. and that's how I learned about you, um, just by doing some research. And then, then I saw that this book was out and read that cover to cover in one sitting. And then we, we called up and, and made the appointment for it. And, and it was really one of the best decisions we've ever made, but, but the, the, um, the advancements that you've made with, with eye care are, are really amazing to me. And, um, so very cool. You've had a really great, you've had a really great career and your career is taking you in a few different places as well. Um, this is your second book that you've written. My second book. Right, right. Yeah. So what was the first book? Perceptual Intelligence? First one was Perceptual Intelligence. And actually, it was when I was in Sochi, Russia for the Olympics to watch Stephen Holcomb compete. That was my inspiration to write this book. Mm -hmm. So it kind of ties back actually to Keratoconus in a way, why that book even came to fruition. And it's basically the concept that we get so much information around us from what people say to us, what people, you know, send to us on emails and social media, or we watch on TV or listen to that. We are always challenged to understand how to separate what's real and what's not real or not true. And so the concept of perceptual intelligence is like, we have a perception instead of emotional intelligence. um, We have like a perception intelligence Mm -hmm. to how to, separate the fact from fantasy. And that's what the book is about. Like basically critical thinking, how to be a good critical thinker and check some of the things that lead us astray at the door. So we can always be as nobody's perfect, of course, but be as accurate in our assessments of whatever information we're, you know, being hit with. Yeah. It's interesting that, that you, you say that the, the Olympics when you were there was your inspiration. What, what, what about that trip to the Olympics made you kind of think about perceptual intelligence in a different way or a way that you wanted to write a book about it? I saw this huge disconnect between what was really happening on the ground in Sochi in Russia and what Putin was saying and portraying in the press. And it was really the Putin um, observation that was my inspiration actually. And then for a guy like you who is obviously very busy, you're a world renowned eye surgeon. Um, I guess, do you call yourself an eye surgeon? You're I'm an eye surgeon. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, I mean, I guess it's surgery that you're, it's definitely surgery when you're putting in the intacts. Um, but anyways, you're, you're a world renowned eye surgeon and obviously very busy. Where do you find time to write a book and research a book and, and put a book together and publish a book and market a book. And I mean, there's, there's so much that goes into it. How do you Oh my do gosh. That? 
it's, you know, there's so much in my first, the first book, as you mentioned, perceptual intelligence, I had no idea. I was just like, you know, the, the kid just like, (laughs) Oh, great. Well, we're going to do a book. This is going to be fun. And then it's like, Oh my gosh, like, right. First of all, getting an agent and getting an agent to sell the book is a whole process. And then writing the book proposal, because what people don't realize for nonfiction books versus fiction, like Harry Potter, for nonfiction, you don't write the whole book at first. You literally have a business plan for the book. Hmm. And like, what's the market for the book? What are competitive titles? You know, how are you going to market the book? What's your platform? And then you have a sample chapter. And then when a publisher you know, buys it, then you actually write the book. Uh-huh. Whereas Harry Potter, for example, like J.K. Rowling wrote the book first, and that's the way it works in fiction. Then they go out and read the whole book first before a publisher gets it. So, um, so that was a whole ordeal. And and then when you finish the book, um, now is the process of helping to get it in people's hands, right. which is a whole nother chapter of the process. So, just writing the book, you don't just go. Oh yeah, I'm done. No, 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 no. <laughs> now you got the whole other second half of that train. You got to like pull. Right. And I'm so, sure that some people do it much better than others. And, you know, you learn a few things after you've written yeah. one and done this before. So what, what do you have in store for you now? Is this the beginning of, of the, of the book tour, I guess is what you would, what you would call it now that you've finished this new book? Yeah, so this is really the beginning. And actually, I should answer the question, um, how do I have time to do all this stuff? <laughs> right. right, yeah, that is the yeah, question. By the way, but I want to give you the background because a lot of people don't realize how the book industry works when you see a book on a shelf or on Amazon. But that's the background. But basically, um, I just try to be as efficient as I can with my time. And for this current book, which is about social media, the like a deep dive into social media, how it affects us, Uh, good and bad, because there's great. And then there's also bad and evil on social media. And the book really does a very deep dive. um, Because I'll explain how I even got into social media in a moment. But I uh, just work. And I work really efficiently. And (laughs) I got in a lot of trouble once, but I was at one of my daughter's volleyball tournaments in uh, Florida. And what I did is I didn't go to any of the dinners. I didn't do anything with the parents. I was really sort of an absent volleyball dad and just stayed in the hotel writing a very, very detailed outline and doing the research and kind of putting together like about a 45 page, very detailed outline of the book. So I just find these times when I can just work really efficiently and um, try to make every moment count, I guess. And With, are you, of course, downtime too. You have to always have downtime. Yeah. Are you a morning guy when you write? Is that one of your more productive times or evening or middle of the night? Or what do you, what's, what's your most productive writing time? Um, yeah, usually mornings. Um, Cause by the end of the day, I'm a little bit like, oh, okay. I just want to chill. Yeah. So mornings is usually really good or weekends as well. Or if I'm on a plane, um, you know, I'm not watching movies like during the book time. Like I was actually writing on the plane a lot. So. Mm, nice. Okay. So now we're, we, we, we get to what that, the book's actually about the, the social media. So how have you, um, how have you, what's your experience with social media and, and, and that leads you to write this, this book? I mean, I know you're doing the, the cap, no cap. I watch that all the time. Um, and, and I'm sure that's given you some sort of a different, um, perception of what's going on with social media, but how, how did this, where, where did your interest in this come from? Really during the pandemic, my daughter said to me, you know, dad, there's some really good doctors who are on TikTok and they get, they give great information. We can get you started. Cause like we're on TikTok a little bit. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. And I had a lot more time because it was the pandemic in the beginning two years ago. And so they got me started and I started observing what people were saying and doing. And I thought, you know, there's so much bad information out there, (laughs) right? That's going viral. And if a post gets like, and this isn't just on TikTok, I mean, this is Instagram, it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook as well. But if a post gets like, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of views, 
that's what the algorithm chose to recognize that, hey, this is a post that people want to see. But the algorithms don't do anything to actually fact check right. to see if it's actually accurate or if it's harmful even. And so I started to find my niche in terms of finding videos that were not true or ones that were true and making a side-by-side duet on it in TikTok, as it's called. And either, you know, instead of, I was using Gen Z lingo. So instead of saying it's false, I would say it's CAP, C-A-P. And that's Gen Z for not true. And not CAP means it's true. So I started doing that and people really started uh, loving that. And I started to get a hat. I had, I'll show you my (laughs) hat I made. Um, I'll show you the original, the OG hat. And then I started to actually make merch actually. So like you wouldn't have ever, I would have never thought that this would have been where I would be like two years ago. I would say, what's, what's Brian going to be doing in the mirror? Be like, this is not where I think I'm going to be, but let me show you. That's a great start to the conversation. We're going to take a short break and get right back to the show in just a moment. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. So, so then, you know, and I wouldn't even oftentimes say a word. I would just be watching and reacting and say like at the top of the video, like doctor reacts to like lemon juice for acne or whatever the topic is. And then let's play the cap game. And then I'd be watching and reacting and doing some like funny expressions. And then at the end, people are really curious, like, you know, Groundhog Day, right? Is Puxatani Phil going to come out or right. not? So they wait <laughs> till the end to see what happens. And so if I put this on, this means that it's like not true, cap. And um, that was the OG one. So it was just literally <laughs> a piece of paper with like a Sharpie. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I uh, upped my game and I actually went with the actual like, you know, embroidered caps. So, yeah. So, that's uh, that's sort of my what I'm known for, actually, uh, for doing. And, um, you know, it just really developed. I got to learn a lot and I got to meet other influencers and become friends with them. And then it was like, wow, this is a well, actually, at the time, I was already thinking about doing a book on social media. And then this just really added fuel to the fire with my direct experience now in it as an influencer and knowing other influencers for the beginning of how this book sort of came to blossom into what it is today. Yeah. So, so the, uh, I mean, it's fascinating because I think about social media all the time. I mean, we are, uh, my other son that I don't know if you've met yet, Hayden, um, he just got back from a trip and he uh, was a leader for this group called Moondance. And he went over to Europe and one of their main rules was that no one could use their phone. 
Like they're totally unplugged, no social media, no, they couldn't even really, they would just have very specific times that they could even call home and say that everybody was okay. And no news is good news. And it's really back to the way it was when you and I grew up. Like if you don't hear anything, that's good. Right. And so he um, is coming off of this period of no phone for, you know, 75 days and no social media and everything. And we were having good conversations about that. Meanwhile, I'm just even watching my own habits of how they've changed of even if you're just bored for a second, you pick up your phone and look at it and, and just wondering like, okay, what is that doing to me? Which is one thing because I actually know what life was like before social media. And then there's this whole other world of what is it like for someone who has never known a world that doesn't have social media? And what does that look like? And what is that doing to a whole population? And I'm assuming that you're getting into that in, in your book, but what a, what a crazy conversation you could even just have with, with anyone about, about that. But I'm really interested to hear kind of your, your thoughts on that and where we're going and what to expect out of this, this period that we have reason why social media is so powerful and keeps growing and it's not going away anywhere. So, you know, if you're a parent and you're like, well, I'm just not going to allow my kids to be on it, or I'm just going to just ignore it. Like that's not a good approach because first of all, social media is, you know, even Facebook, right? That's social media. And most adults are on Facebook. Their kids aren't, <laughs> but you know, that's also social media. So it's, do it, what it does, the reason why it's so effective and at times very addictive. And I even went through an addictive phase too, that I talked about in the beginning of the book, that was a surprise to me, you know, almost sort of like, you know, having somebody that's treating a condition and then they become victims of the own con of the, the condition yeah. itself. So, because there's a neurochemical in our brains called dopamine. So like, when you do something really amazing, like let's say you, you know, have a great workout, you accomplish something, uh, whatever, chocolate, um, when people do drugs or they gamble and then they hit a jackpot or they get a big win on a hand, that's stimulating this neurochemical called dopamine, which is like the feel-good reward chemical. That's what makes us feel good, right? So gambling like classically especially on a, a slot machine is the classic for stimulating dopamine because it's also random you don't know when you're going to get that payout which the randomness is what actually makes it even more addictive mm -hmm. so social media is like that because you know you're scrolling through your feed seeing video after video as you scroll and you don't know which is going to be one that's going to be really entertaining or or educational or just grab you. And it's that unpredictability of the hit that makes it so addictive. And the algorithms all know that. Mm. That's why when you are seeing your feed, that's not going to be the same as anyone else's feed because it's based on your own psychology on what you like to watch. So the right. algorithms are smarter than we are. And most people think, oh, this is what everyone else sees but it's not, it's actually curated and, and catered right to the individual. That forms almost like an echo chamber of, of like whatever you're thinking is now completely reinforced with, with social media. And yeah. that, that, that becomes dangerous in politics or any sort of, I mean, anything that people think about as fervently as a religion, even like, your diet, like veganism or, 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 or carnivore or paleo or whatever, if that's what you're into, that's what you're going to see. And it's like, well, everybody's into this. Like, this is, this is yep. what the world is like, but it's no, like, this is what you want to see. And it's just being reinforced over and over. And I guess that's based upon, um, even if you were to pause on a video or if you were to watch one twice, or you were to like a video or, or, I don't know, but it's very, I would imagine that it's probably using the camera on your phone to even, even, uh, see how your eyes are moving on the 
depth on the on the video and what you're what you're looking at and if it doesn't do that yet it probably will in the future um it seems very sophisticated oh much more than people realize there was a great documentary called the social dilemma yeah. on netflix and i quoted some really key interviews from some of those people who were the engineers uh, like at Google and behind the scenes and that their insights as well that I discussed were just mind blowing, really. Yeah. And uh, one, one of the things I remember about that is uh, several of them said that they wouldn't let their kids be on social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So right. what, uh, where do you think, where do you think this is headed for this, for this generation? Like I, I agree with you s strongly that, when you're having this this discussion with your children about, you know, can I get a social media account or whatever to like like we went through that with with Turner the my, the one of my sons that you know and and when he when he was young Facebook was basically the only social media I remember him coming home and saying he wanted a Facebook account and at first we were kind of like no you're not old enough for that yet and then I started thinking is there a way that this could be a teaching moment that we could show him how to like social media is not evil there's a lot of good things that are with social media and if you learn how to do social media you can learn how to market your business or you can learn how to to do all kinds of things and so i was kind of like you know if you're if you just say no then you're like this social pariah that you don't it's like this one big thing that you don't do that everyone else does i'm not sure that that's the answer, but what, what did you come up with, with in your, in your research for this and all the different people that you're talking to, like how, what do you think is the best way to, to, you know, to, to coach your children on social media? I think, um, first of all is you want to understand what social media is, especially as a parent. Okay. So if, and there's actually research that shows this, they have two groups of parents, one group, their kids were on social media, but one one group of parents were like, we're not going to learn about it. We're just going to try to coach our kids about it. The other group were encouraged to get on social media, get an account for themselves. They don't have to post per se, but at least they're in there. They kind of see what's going on inside, you know, sort of behind the curtain, if, mm -hmm. if you will. So it's not scary anymore. And the group of parents who were involved with social media had much more success helping to modulate their children's behavior on social media. Now, why is that? The reason is because they are talking to their children from a position of experience. Like, yes, I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. So I think that, you know, let's take a look at the influencers you're following. You know, I'd like to see the influencers you're following uh, because they're savvy enough to know that there's even influencers, right. right? Versus the group that were just like keeping their head in the sand of the parents who were in that group. So they were able to speak and have more credibility in those discussions with their kids to help modulate their behavior. So I think that's a key takeaway that we talked about that research had shown is if you're a parent, don't be afraid, like set up an account just so you understand whichever account your children are on and then you can swim around there and you see what it's about and then you are able to communicate better with your kids about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's probably true for almost anything with your kids. If you can, if you can come talk to them from a place of like, like I guess the difference between empathy and sympathy is the way it's always been kind of explained to me is like somebody's in a hole, you look down in there and you say, Oh man, that's terrible. Feel feel sorry for you. And then that's sympathy. And then empathy would be to get down in that hole with them and be like, okay, now we got to figure out how to get out of here. Um, you know, and that that's exactly. like a that's like a, a, a an explanation of the the difference between those two words. It just made me think about that with social media of like, okay, I'm going to get in here with you, and we're going to look, we're going to explore this together, and I'm going to kind of explain why I don't think that's a really great influencer for you to follow. Um, and maybe this yeah. one is, um, but because, it, because there, there are some influencers who are amazing and really inspire people and teach people and educate people and entertain people in a safe and healthy way. 
But then there's some others who really have made perhaps dark intentions and even cults have found that social media is a very, very potent breeding ground. And we have a whole chapter in the book about cults, which people think like, oh, those are like the Hare Krishnas. But no, no, they're a lot of different kinds of cults. Aren't looking like cults. They don't look like cults are not easily identified, but they're out there. And there's a darkness, you know, in that world too. Yeah, I'm sure. And so cults are, I mean, I don't know why that would be surprising to me. I just haven't heard that really before, but I would imagine that, you know, cults have always looked for places where you find young kind of um, displaced people or, you know, a displaced, a young displaced person is, is a college student. Like they're not at home anymore. They're at this Mm -hmm. new place. They don't have a lot of friends. They're looking for a place to belong. And here come these people that seem really super nice. And then next thing you know, they go to a weekend retreat and then they're, they start to get their brain molded around, well, this per I really like what these people are saying. And then that goes on and on and on through some seemingly harmless things to now we want all your worldly possessions and we want you to move over here. Um, <laughs> you know, that's like, that's like the, 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 the long story, but I mean, that is kind of the, the, the cult story. And so now you're saying that, that it's ripe on the internet for, for cults to, to be in, in communication with, with kids and well, probably of people of all ages, right? Yeah. I mean, anybody, like you said, you identified a really powerful risk factor, which is somebody who's displaced, who might feel, who might be an outsider because they moved to a new community, Mm -hmm. Uh, could also be for a job, not just college. And the person in the cult comes across as, I'm your friend. I'm not critical of you. Unconditional love and acceptance and especially if somebody's had challenges from previous chapter in their life with those issues, then this could be like, oh my gosh, somebody really accepts me for who I am. This is great. So, I mean, who's not going to be gravitating towards somebody who's not being critical, right. when used to being, you know, criticized and, you know, unconditional acceptance and love. So, and it's like an individual person who's coming across in the cult like this. It's not like a group of people, like with a big banner that says, Hey, we're this cult, right? It's so under the radar that, you know, people get fooled. They don't realize what's happening um, through that process. Wow. Wow. Another thing that, um, that almost everyone has to encounter if you're on social media and you're, you're active at all. And if you're any sort of an influencer or the, you know, the haters, and and just the the negativity. Uh, do you do you go into that in your, in your book? And definitely, yeah. We we talk about trolls um, because even if somebody's not an influencer, there's still trolls out there that will, through very easy anonymity, make terrible comments, insulting comments that can really weigh heavily on people psychologically. So, uh, handling trolls is really important when you're on social media but even especially for kids and teens, because, you know, their brains are still developing. You know, the frontal lobe is the higher order, you know, command center, the CEO of the brain. And it's usually not fully developed until on average about age 25. So people that are younger than that, you know, they don't have all the tools necessarily to be able to handle some of this criticism that can be really sharp and, and really stabbing. Right. And so handling trolls is really important, um, even to talk to your kids about trolls and how to handle that on social media as well. We're going to take a quick break and get right back to the show in just a moment. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, We make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, 
with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Do you think that there's anything to um, the, the, the argument that, um, like you're saying that, you know, your frontal lobe's not developed until you're 25 and, and you're not, you're not um, capable of dealing with, with trolls, but we've never had trolls until just recently, right? Do you think that there is any argument to be made that this new information that's coming in and these new influences and these, this, this whole being brought up around social media would somehow allow people that are much younger to develop much quicker in that capacity? I mean, is there anything to that or is it, I mean, I heard, I heard uh, Joe Rogan having that conversation about, and, and he was, he didn't say it like that. What they were saying on his show was that, that, you know, there's this, this common thing that a tribe should be like 50 people or 150 people, that that's how many people that you're capable of having uh, relationships with. Right. And now, we have 30,000 followers as a small account, 250,000 followers as a small account. Some people have millions. And, and how can we possibly develop quickly enough to where we can manage 30,000 relationships when we're really only capable of 50 or 100? And, and Joe Rogan had an interesting um, kind of idea there that maybe that would that this this new stimulus that would allow us to develop in a different way to where we could handle more of that, but we've just never we haven't been in this period for long enough to know. Do you am I do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think still the human brain is only capable. It only has so much bandwidth, right? And so, if you have the relationships in person that can be maybe a maximum of 50 really solid relationships in person. What makes a relationship? It's time spent with that person. It's you sharing information and hearing information back from them over a period of time. Therefore you have a relationship. So when you have, let's say, let's say I've got, you know, between all my platforms, like 3.4 million followers there it's just no way I can have a relationship with even a fraction of that amount of people. Um, even though the technology in theory exists that mm -hmm. your friends or your friends on Facebook, quote unquote, but to really have a true relationship, you still need to have those basics. And digitally I've, I've met good friends, other influencers through my experience, because We've had communications back and forth, or we've had phone calls, we've talked, we've had real communication, we've had meaningful communication. I guess that's probably the key word. Is the, is the, is the communication meaningful for the two people? Because remember, relationships takes two sides, right? Right. right. Um, and I think for most of those people, I, nobody could say that it's a meaningful relationship between millions of followers and the influencer. Mm -hmm. Where that could be, you know, distorted by a young person or really anyone, I guess, that you're following this influencer and you left a comment and then they commented back. So now you, there is this back and forth thing. And is that a relationship? Well, to one side of it, it is. To the influencer, they're just throwing a thumbs up in there or whatever and trying to keep their account active, or maybe it's not even them. Like it could be somebody else managing their account. But that's kind of a funny, um, a funny kind of situation that that we're finding ourselves in is that one side feels like they're in a relationship with this person. It's not even really a 100%. person. It's a weird thing. It's a weird yeah, and thing. Actually, there's a name for it. What? It's called a parasocial relationship. Okay. PSR. Yeah. PSR. In psychology, that's what it's called with social media because somebody, the follower, feels that they have a relationship, which is part of the intimacy of social media, which on one hand is great, right? I mean, as you can tell, I take a very balanced view about social media. It's not all bad. It's not all good. There's a balance. It's like, 
It's like a candle. Mm-hmm. You can use it for illumination, but you can burn yourself really badly too. So that's the way I view it. So with this parasocial relationship, the follower, because of the intimacy of the influencer sharing videos like in their home or in, you know, they let them into their world, which is one of the nice things about social media. There's a personal component to it, at least to one side versus a conventional celebrity. Like, um, you know, most of your big time celebrities, like you really don't see anything of their personal world, right? You see them on camera portraying somebody else, but social media has this authenticity. That's the key. That's the key difference is people when they're, you know, true to themselves as they present themselves, they're authentic. That brings in that relationship or the pseudo relationship, so to speak. That's the parasocial relationship. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and do you go through, do you go into that in your book? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and then I guess that's what a, that's what a really great influencer does is they, they, you know, just like a great communicator and you can hear about stories of people meeting great politicians or whatever. They may not agree with that politician, but they got to meet them and immediately they felt like they were the most important person in the room. And they were like, that guy is amazing, right? Well, 10 minutes before you met them, you were saying that they were a crook, right? But then you got in there and this person has this, this X factor of, of this personality that just draws people in. You could see, I'm sure Barack Obama's like that. I'm sure Bill Clinton's like that. I'm sure lots and lots of politicians that we all know are like that. And they have this, this, this huge personality that when you're with them, you feel incredibly important to them. They're just, that's just, that's just one of their qualities of their personality that makes them a great politician or a great band leader or a great, you know, rock and roll singer or a great, you know, cult leader, right? Like that's just one of the things that they have. But I guess to portray that across, uh, across the internet and, and to have that as part of your, you know, your, your social media kind of image, that's also what you're really looking for is somebody that can really put that out there and make people think that they have this relationship with them and they're more magnetic to more people. And I guess they get more followers, right? Yeah. They share their personality and they are, they come across as authentic. Um, Hopefully that matches the real deal behind, you know, the camera and, but the, the element of authenticity is key. And also the equivalent of like, when you're talking about like some of these presidents that can make people feel so special they're the only person in the room when maybe they're talking to them. When an influencer comments on a one of their posts, comments, like a follower makes a comment, like there's lots of comments on the posts. Well, you know, influencers will comment on some of those comments. Mm-hmm. And those followers who get that comment, it's the equivalent of speaking with Bill Clinton and feeling like you're the only person in the room because the influencer commented on your comment on their post and it makes them feel incredibly special. And it's the same thing in one in certain respects. Yeah. What about the, um, uh, the influencer themselves and just creating this, this persona that you have on your social media account that could that be a trap? Could that be, could that be something that you now, maybe that's not really, you, but you play this great character that draws in followers. And now that's, has to be you. Like, is that, is there a trap there for some people? You know, there's a really dark example that we talked about in um, one of the uh, countries in Asia, there was a, um, his name is Ridoy Babo and he has about 80,000 followers, which, you know, for, that country is pretty sizable. I mean, that can fill like a soccer stadium, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot of people, 80,000 followers. And he on his account seems like this nice playboy dancing around, having a good time at parties. And then he would ask, um, you know, put out there for if there were girls who wanted to come and maybe audition or, or work in his, you know, facility, or maybe, you know, apply to get a job. Um, he had like, you know, thousands and thousands of women come to 
apply and audition. And what it ended up being was a sex ring that these women, some of them were actually abducted, raped in hotel rooms, and then sold into the select, sold into the sex trade industry. Wow. And, you know, his account, and he's been arrested since, but his account is still up actually. Wow. Um, but here's an example of somebody who portrayed themselves to be one thing, but in reality, they were very, very different and quite sinister. Yeah. I, I, well, I can imagine that there's, there's plenty of that going around. Um, you know, maybe not to, so, maybe not to that degree, but. I mean, I think a key message is if an influencer ever asks for a one-in-one meetup, like, no, never, never accept that. No, mm. that's a red flag. Yeah, I would think so. But there are meetups, right? Like we're all, you know, like, Hey, we're going to be at this place and all, all of the, uh, all of my followers can come and, you know, hang out. Right. And there'll be I lots think of people. I think, I think that's a little different because you have a large group of people, but again, you know, this Babo character did the same thing and it turned out to really be a, a very dark undertaking uh, for some of those women who went. So even if you go to a group meetup with an influencer, you still need to have your critical thinking, you know, perceptual intelligence, if you will, really honed in for if anything starts to seem a little bit unusual or there's some other red flags, then you need to be aware of it. But a one-on-one -on -one meetup, if an influencer says like, hey, let's you and me meet, I'd like to meet you and talk to you, uh, never accept that. No, that, that, that's a one-on-one -on -one meet up in person, that's a red flag. Yeah. And that could be sinister. That could be a cult. That could be whatever, all the things that we've yeah. talked about, right? That's unusual. Yeah. yeah. So um, we talk about uh, on, on this podcast a lot, we talk about the, the delicate balance of, of social media and fishing because like fishing has been kind of a secretive sport for a long time. Like you, you have these places where you go and you don't really want anybody to know because then they'll go there. And so there is this real fine balance because the, on the one hand, social media has been very good for the sport of fishing because you can show people what you're doing out there. You see them catching these big tarpon or big snook or whatever, and then they want to go. So there has been, uh, and, and it has helped to bring younger, a, a whole younger audience into fishing because now fishing seems really cool. But there is a, this real real fine line between like, what are you doing? Are you exploiting your spots? Are you damaging the environment even by putting too many people in, in a place that that many people never were, were, were intended to in this somewhat obscure place. And I'm sure that you run across this in, in other things besides fishing of like, how do you balance social media and the pressure that social media can bring to like a natural place uh, by, you know, you have a, a, a vlogger that's going around to the national parks and shows, you know, this beautiful place where probably in history, there's never been more than a hundred people there at the, at the same time. And then they show you exactly how to get there and exactly what to do. And the next weekend there's 700 people there. Like, right. have you, did you run into in, in some of your research about different ways that social media is affecting, you know, things that I'm probably not even thinking about fishing is one. Um, the outdoors is, is, is certainly one where you're putting a lot of pressure on, on some area, but I just wondered what you were kind of, what your thoughts are on that. I think that's going to be a natural um, extension of being covered in the old days by a magazine mm -hmm. that yeah. talks about, Oh, this is a great vacation I went to. And this is like what I did. Um, maybe it was reader's digest. Maybe it was, you know, some other, maybe it was a fishing magazine mm -hmm. even. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so it's just extending that concept. So I think, there has to be some responsibility and consideration of what that natural resource is to make sure that the making people aware of it component doesn't actually end up harming it accidentally right. or inadvertently. Yeah. So where do we, where are we going with all this? What, what do you think after you, after you do all this research and you, you're, you become an influencer yourself and you're, you have these, this huge following and you're, you, you have a, a niche that you're doing, but you also have this whole other life that you live as a, as a, 
as a real doctor and a world-renowned eye surgeon, um, you have a different perspective. Now you're even an author on this and you've done all this research. Where are we going with social media? Like, I don't think it's going away either. I agree with you there. But where is it going? It's going to continue to grow and people need to understand what the risks are to themselves, especially the addiction component, because I went through this phase where when I was growing like crazy and literally I was like dopamine sloshing around in my head with all these viral videos and, you know, and then what you get in the habit of like refreshing on your phone to see how many more views you've got, right? Because it's a natural thing. Like, oh my gosh, like how many more hundreds of thousands that I get in the next five minutes since I refreshed it. So, so there's this addictive component, like we talked about because of dopamine. So I think number one, it becomes even more important to understand how can we have a healthy relationship and not really interfere with the real relationships we have in life. Because I experienced that downside where my, at that time, my social media sort of addiction was starting to interfere with some of my family relationships. And I sort of went into more detail about that in the beginning of the book, uh, which nobody was really, I've never really talked publicly about that until really the book came out. But, you know, that was also just part of my experience knowing what happens. And all the other influencers I interviewed for the book all had some component at some time where it was interfering with their personal lives. Hmm. And, um, you know, an influencer isn't above it more than a follower or a user on social media. I think even so, more, I would think they were even in more danger because there's more dopamine. Like if, if you're looking at your account and it's like, well, I got five likes. Oh, seven likes. Or you look at it and it's, I have 70,000 views. Now I have 150,000 views and, and 5,000 comments. I mean, it seems like that's just more. Or does it, or do you become numb to it at some point to where it's just like, ah, it's a hundred thousand. What's a hundred? I mean, I, I think after a while there, there's a desensitization period for influencers um, to some degree, but still there's always the temptation. Okay. What's happening now on that late, latest post I did. And, um, you know, I've gotten to the point where it's, it's really under control. I mean, it's been under control for a while now, but but from a user point of view, you know, whatever their source of dopamine is from social media, whether it's their own posts or watching other people's posts relative to what they've experienced, it still can be just as powerful. And, and so we have to learn how to live and keep it under control. And so then the end of the book talks about how can we keep this under control to not, uh, sabotage the most important things in our life, which are relationships with real people. Before we wrap up our conversation, we're going to take one final break. Be right back. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, right. And hopefully that's what the young people understand is that the real people and your real relationships and actually communicating with your voice and talking to someone in person, one-to-one is really what this life is about, not across the internet. Did you ever see, um, I'm sure you did with your, um, with your research, but black mirror, do you watch that show? Yeah, I've seen some of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I used to really be into, I used to really be into the twilight zone. When I was young. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's black mirror is the, the best kind of twilight zone esque thing that we have uh, today, I think even, even yeah. better than the twilight zone reboot. That was pretty good, but it's not as good as black mirror, but there's this one episode that is just, it's so disturbing and it's where they live in, in the building and they have to ride the bicycles to get, to get uh, like stationary bicycles to get these, these points. And then 
everything around them is screens and there aren't windows. And, and in order to swipe the, the advertisement away, they have to use some of their points. And then they get more social points by getting likes by someone and they're, they just, everything is, is about these points. And then if you, if you use up all your points, then you're just overrun with these porn ads and just ads. You can't stop them. And this guy gets up and he looks, he's brushing his teeth and the mirror turns into a screen and it's like this ad. And at first, you know, he's just swiping it. But the only way that you can go get more points is to ride on this bicycle. And so they're all constantly just riding this bicycle and living in this world without windows and not going outside. And it's just very disturbing. Very dis- I think that's the most disturbing Black Mirror of all. Now, it was entertaining, too, because it's like, wow, yeah. that could yeah. we move to a world like that? That, that is that that this social media dif- deal grows into something that is just pervasive around you everywhere and every wall is a screen and i don't know it's that's a scary world if that's if that's it i'm moving to alaska or somewhere i don't want to i don't want to live in that world they have mirrors in alaska too they do i know but you would have to they also have places in alaska that don't have mirrors (laughs) right 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 you just you just Pitch a tent on the Kenai and then you'll yeah. be good. Well, that's where I'm going. I'm going to the Kenai in uh yeah. in, in in a week or so. And have you fished yeah, that's there? That's great. Have you you know, I went fishing there a few years ago with some buddies and we were in the river casting and it I, it was amazing. It was amazing. And it's fun, fun reeling in a salmon. They're yeah. tough fighters. Yeah, I can't wait to go. I'm hoping we're we're gonna um see some bears and stuff. I don't wanna see them up close, but I do I do like the the Alaskan bears because they're well much more well fed than the Yellowstone bears and they seem to seem to be a little bit more into what they're doing eating salmon is, rather than eating you so yeah I'm, yeah I'm looking uh, although I have a healthy respect for Alaskan bears too and and don't want I don't want any problem with bears so I don't want any karma I'm being very careful about what I say because I know I'm going to be around them here coming up soon. But um, so how- Just by the way, get get to your spot on the river super early because the spot we were at and we had a guide, um, we had to get there super early because, you know, it's like that's your territory. Shoulder you know, shoulder. People get very territorial when they're waiting in that spot in the river. So. Mm-hmm. Get yeah. there early. That'd well, be my advice. Yeah. We're also going to um, to be going to some places where I don't, I don't think it's going to be quite as crowded, but I don't know. This is a, this is a busy time of the year up there. Just judging by um, trying to make our, our, our reservations for accommodations. It was, was difficult. I'm like, this is Alaska, right? <laughs> like We're going to Alaska. You're full, you're full, you're full, you're full. Everybody's full, but it's the, it's the uh, tourist, you know, it's the tourist time. You don't want to, yeah. not a lot of tourists are going there and when it's cold and wet, I guess. So. Now it's beautiful and sunny. So that's when people go there. Um, Brian, how do people uh, get your book? You, you're, you're on pre-order. I already pre-ordered it on uh, on Audible. And you said that you're reading it, right? Reading the book. And it's a marathon, triathlon in a literary sense to read a book. Um, I spent last weekend and the weekend before in the studio and um the reason why I decided to read the book, even though it's so much more work for me to do it versus a professional who does it all the time is because I've listened to books before. And when I don't hear the author read it, I feel like a little short change. Mm-hmm. It's like, I would really love to hear them say it in their own words because it's their book. Yeah. And so I did it because I wanted to have the listeners have that experience, the full experience. And also with the intonations and sometimes there's some humor and then I know the humor because I wrote it (laughs) so I can deliver that more on point. Um, But boy, it was that, I mean, I mentioned even last week and yesterday was day four of being in the studio for like six hours at a clip. And, um, you know, you're in a little booth with headphones with the, the producer and then the audio engineer and you're back and forth. Oh, say this again a little differently. It's so exhausting, but really, um, only have about three hours left in the studio and I'm done. And I'm already feel like it's going to be a huge accomplishment again, just to finish reading the book. Wow. So, that's, that's awesome. I'm I excited. guess, I guess when you're, um, 
I don't know if there's any way that you can um, necessarily, like a good producer or a good audio engineer would, like occasionally when I read or, or listen to audio books, and I listen to a lot of them, you'll notice that there'll be a break where they the 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 author's voice was a certain way and then it's just slightly different and then it then it starts again and you're I can tell well that was the next day like he came back he's fresh right there and it's just slightly different but um you know if you if you had any sort of a a cold or or anything like that that makes a a huge difference um in in the way that your your voice sounds and you and then when the listener is listening to it like for 6 hours at a time they notice every little little piece of that. So I guess that you have to be very careful when you're doing this to maintain, you know, uh, the the same type of voice, which would mean probably getting plenty of rest and not yelling and screaming at your daughter's volleyball game the night before. <laughs> like I don't know exactly. what do you, what are the things that you have to you have to think about to when you're when you're reading like that. Do you, did they give you any tips about like maintaining voice consistency? Well, cer- certainly getting good rest um, is really important, especially between the days. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. for me, because I'm working during the week, I can't record like during the week. So for me, it's been weekends. So like that Saturday, that Friday night, I make sure I went to bed early and went to bed early on Saturday night. We, we were even out to dinner with some friends and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I need to get up and I really <laughs> need my sleep. So I'm going to have to skip dessert guys. <laughs> How'd that go and I, over? I, and I was like, and they understood, but I had no problems just kind of like pulling the plug because like, I know I need to be on, but also like when you're doing this in the studio, you're not actually recording six hours straight. So, you know, you may need to take breaks. The producer, cause they're very experienced. They can hear when you start to f- sound a little fady and they're like, you know, let's take a five minute break, stand up, walk around. and um and it was funny because in yesterday's session, um, we were, you know, getting through uh, a big chunk and she's like, you know, I think we're going to, we were supposed to end at four. And I said, okay, I want to, let's take a break. Like you said, but has anyone come back at the end of the day like this and had literally like a second wind? And she's like, no, no. <laughs> and the engineer was like, no, never. And, you know, these are people with years of experience. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be special. So what I did is I went, I did a bunch of air squats. Yeah. You know, I did a bunch of push-ups. I did like some high knee, like, you know, runs yeah. down the hall. And I had a little bit of coffee and I came back and they were like, holy smokes. Like you're really doing great. <laughs> the the <laughs> benefit of exercise. That's awesome. Yeah. man. And so how yeah. much longer did you go? Another couple of hours or what? No, no, no. Then we went like about 40 more minutes because we were already over time, actually. Gotcha. So, uh, but I wanted to try to get in a little more to finish that one chapter. That was actually chapter 11. So it's a 12 chapter book with then a conclusion and an epilogue. So during the, actually tomorrow or Wednesday, I'm going to be finishing um, that rest of it. So it'd be about three and a half hours and three hours and I'll be done. So um, yeah, so people, like you said, people, where can they get the book? Uh, it's, it's everywhere books are sold. Um, but you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, pretty much everywhere, uh, you can find the book. All right. And what's it Hard called? Hard copy. And what's of it? course, audio book. What's the title? Influenced the impact of social media on our perception. All right. By Dr. Brian Boxer Walkler. Right on. Some great. And by the way, I will mention, I feel really honored. I have some great people who endorsed the book. Yeah. Um, like Gronk, uh, Gronkowski, NFL star. Yes. And um, he had some awesome things to say about the book and uh, which is actually on the book itself. You know, when you have, when you get endorsements, the publisher likes to put them on the book or inside the book. Right. And also Dr. Pimple Popper, uh, Sandra Lee also gave a wonderful endorsement about the book and, and just a lot of other influencers uh, as well. So I'm very grateful that it's been so well received by people in the know. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's really great because it is a sensitive subject that, you know, like, are you telling people that they shouldn't be on social media or are like from, from an influencer, like, well, we don't want to tell them they shouldn't be on social media. We want to just 
Like, I don't know. Well, like that's interesting. It's kind of an interesting perspective of like, where, where are you going with this? I don't know if I want to endorse your book. I'm going to have to read it first to, to see if it's yeah. going to be good for, for business or bad for business. But I, I think it's just responsible social media, right? It's like, and that's why they endorsed it because they realized this is a really important book for people to have, whether they're parents or adults or even teenagers, because it's like I said, taking a balanced view and a fair view of social media and really to help inform people and ultimately how to live healthy uh, in a healthy way and have healthy relationships with social media and those people and also balance it with your real real world as well. Mm. So that's why they endorsed it because they felt this is a really important information. It's a very important book that people should get their hands on, so to speak. I love it. So uh, when will it be out? I pre-ordered when, when uh, I can't wait to read it. So when, when will it be out? It's coming out officially end of October. And uh, as soon as Amazon gets the shipment, they don't, they don't wait till the end of October. Once they get the shipment, then they're going to start sending copies. So, so people, if they pre-order, they may get the book within a, even a, a couple of days, depending. Okay. So, well, we're going to try to publish this right around the, the, uh, the, the date. So if you're listening to this right now, it's available probably right now and um, you should go get it. All right. That's great. Well, uh, Dr. Brian, thank you very much for, uh, for helping us out to learn a little bit more about social media. I think it's a super important topic, and, and I'm glad to see you write the book about it. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure seeing you, as always, and yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll have to go fishing again. All right. Oh, love it. <laughs> thank you. All right, we'll see you okay. later. Okay, bye, Tom. <laughs>